Um, I'd like to start with saying thank you to Ms. Ray for giving me this amazing opportunity. And what an honor it is to come in front of you today and light one of the Advent candles. Um, like I said, my candle is sovereignty. Or, sorry, <laughs> God's steadfast. <laughs> um, when going through the youth group of this church, I when we would have our different lessons, one thing I really enjoy doing is looking at definitions for words that I think I know, but not 100% sure. Maybe it has a different meaning to it, biblically. So the Webster Dictionary says it, that steadfast is not subject to change. Now, biblically, the 1 Corinthians 15.58, therefore, by the way, King James Version, so cut me some slack. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Key words, unmovable, something that is not movable can change, right? It's, it's there forever. It's unmovable, always abounding. So steadfast, biblically, unmovable, always. So I believe God is not only steadfast and that he is forever, he is eternal, but that all of his attributes can also be described as steadfast. He will forever be faithful. He will forever be sovereign. He will forever be unimaginably big, innumerable. How has God been steadfast in my life? During this time of crazy situations, on a normal year, without COVID, would still be kind of crazy. Um, my life has been going through quite a few changes. Um, I'm a very extrovert guy. I love being with people. And that has really changed this year, obviously. Um, and that did kind of take a toll on me. You know, I went from seeing 90% of my friends every single day to never seeing them, really. Um, that's why this church is a blessing to me. I still can have a family and friends to go to at least once a week. You know? So God has really been the one thing I can look to and know that will never change. No matter what is happening, he will forever be there. And for each one of us, he will always be there. And I love the fact, as I said previously, that the word steadfast can relate to everything. Everything about God. He is always there for us, no matter what we go through, no matter what we have done. He is always there. He is steadfast. And I hope someone can take something from that or all of us be reminded that no matter what we go through, no matter what the crazy year is, is he is always there. Five more days, right? Are you counting it down? Five more days. It's the most wonderful time 
of the year. They sing with kids, with kids jingle belling, and everyone telling you of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I heard that song recently with the Christmas music playing during this season, and I thought to myself, "Is it? Is it wonderful?" You know, honestly, I think if if people were honest. Wonderful might not describe our lives right now. If you, if, if you take in all that has happened this year. Now, Christmas is wonderful. There's no doubt about that. And I'm going to talk about Christmas this morning. But in one sense, for many people at least, this year has been anything but wonderful. This year, in many senses, has been nothing but a terrible burden, uh, a, a challenge. Uh, we have... Now that we have global access to every little thing that happens in every nook and cranny in the universe, we get to hear all of the suffering. We get to hear all of the divisiveness. And it's not just in our country. It's all over the place. We get to hear of, of those that are impoverished. Uh, we get to hear of all the deaths. And the numbers are constantly before us as far as the cases and the deaths and so forth with the pandemic. And so... I think for many, this year is marked by heaviness of heart. And there have been political disappointments. There's been just the hardship of everyday life. And health issues, not just the pandemic, but in general, health issues, marital issues, relational issues, loneliness, financial hardship, and the list goes on. It reminds me of C.S. Lewis's uh, words, always winter, but never Christmas. Always winter, but never Christmas. You know, there's beautiful things about winter, but it's a change in the season. And winter can be harsh. You watch the beautiful green foliage fall off, turn brown, and it looks like things are dead. Now, we know they're not, but... It, winter kind of has that look to it. So you got to try to find ways to stay warm. The days are shorter, so in, in most parts of the world, and so we have to um, basically live with more darkness. Many of us get up in the dark and don't get home until dark in the winter time. So there's just some gloomy things about it, and I think this year kind of, at least for me, it's been pretty gloomy. You know, I put my best foot forward and I try to focus on the, on the Lord. And, but I have described the, kind of the, the climate, the atmosphere uh, to Lisa many times. It's like a dark cloud just kind of looming over our heads. Um, what, what, is it Winnie, Pooh, Winnie the Pooh that one of the characters has the dark cloud constantly over their heads. Yeah. And it just feels like just a dark gloom. And it's interesting that, that analogy of a dark cloud that won't move out of the way because, you know, there's nothing really wrong with a dark cloud. It's just what it blocks. The dark cloud blocks the, the illumination of the sun. It blocks the warmth. It, it blocks the, the light and the, and the blue skies and the cheeriness, if you will. But it does seem like something 
dark and gloomy kind of is going on in just a lot of different areas in our world these days. The world needs a winner with a Christmas. The world needs a winner with hope and and the light and the colors that the beauty that Christmas brings and the symbolism that Christmas brings and the hope and the generosity and the giving and and the thoughtfulness and the goodies that are passed around and eaten in great numbers during Christmas. It just is a symbol of of richness and health and wealth. And the world needs to understand why Christmas is so beautiful. You know, Christmas in one sense, at least for me, it's acting like a cordial because for a hurting soul or the dark cloud, because it is a tremendous reminder of all the good that there is in the world because of the baby Christ. So I want, to under, I want us to understand that or why Christmas really is the most wonderful time of the year, at least right on up there with other times of the year. And to do that, I want to turn to a passage. We read it at this church. Probably every church reads this passage. It's in Isaiah 9. It's the first seven verses of Isaiah. Are you quoting it for me, Ava? So it's a, and we, we read it every year. Now, we usually just kind of pick a few verses out of it, and it's powerful. But I want to look at this very familiar passage and, and kind of mine the depths of it so that we really understand what Isaiah, the hope that Isaiah was bringing into the world at that time, and yes, into the world at this time. And we want to be shepherded by God's holy word this morning. And after the sermon, we're going to watch a video. And I'm sad that Jaden Moss can't be here this morning, although I'm happy that she and Jessica are at a conference, uh, getting even more godly and knowledgeable, growing in the Lord. But she did a little work and put a video together for us and interviewed some of the kids, asked some questions about Christmas, and they're going to quote a few, few verses. So right after the sermon, we can't have a Christmas play because of COVID, but We're trying the best we can at New Covenant Fellowship to improvise things. So we're going to have a little showing of a video. And then directly after that, Lily will come forward and light the Christ candle and speak about that. And then we'll close in prayer. But for now, I want to turn to the book of Isaiah and read the first seven verses. But there will be no gloom for her. Who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior 
in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In this tremendous passage, uh, we, we have a world that goes from that dark cloud, that goes from gloominess to glorious light. How is it possible? I mean, you're talking about, literally in this context, you're talking about a, a, a large section of the world, the globe. Not the whole thing, but a, a big piece of it. The whole Middle East is affected by this. So how can the, the, the whole Middle East, at least a part of the world that is stuck in this projection or this trajectory, how can it just suddenly change from darkness and now be illuminated with light that, that changes the atmosphere, but also the attitude. I mean, that's, that's a hefty thing. That's a hefty promise to just say that it's going to be changed. What would it take to do such a thing? It reminds me of Newton's law of motions, and it states, an object at rest stays at rest. And an object in motion stays in motion at a constant speed and direction unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. So you have this, this part of the world and these people, this kingdom, I guess you could say, that's just kind of stuck. It's just, it, it's in motion, but it's stuck in the same motion of darkness and gloominess. But something's going to come, something big, heftier than that, bigger than that. An unbalanced force is going to interrupt the forces of darkness. And it's going to be the forces of life. And it's going to change directions in this part of the world. And we know that that force is God incarnate. We know that that force comes from that little babe in the manger. And the promise that Isaiah is making is that this birth, this birth of Christ, God, the light, is the beginning of regaining everything that the world has lost because of rebellion and because of sin and because of turning its back against the light and choosing to live in darkness. This great force is going to change that. Forever and ever and ever. So the birth changes the current status of things. And so that's what brings this great hope. It brings us hope to that area. It brings hope to the world. It brings hope to individual souls. I love one of the, you know, Christmas carols, the old ones, are, are so packed with solid doctrine. You could just about preach a sermon on every line in these. But the soul felt its worth. What a beautiful thing to imagine the soul because the soul is destitute without the light. 
The soul's heavy. The soul is burdened. And the soul doesn't know what to do with itself. We live in a world in a, or our culture. We don't even know what to do with ourselves anymore. We don't know how to identify ourselves. We don't know anything about worth or where to put it. But when Christ comes, the light and the truth, the soul feels the reality of its worth as created in Christ Jesus. So the hope is for those that recognize that the world is stuck, that the world is fallen, that the world is in darkness. And the hope comes for those that don't want to stay the same, but are willing to embrace this king. That's kind of an overview of chapter 9 that we're familiar with. But notice that chapter 9, well, what comes before it actually is chapter 8. And there's a context to chapter 9. For unto us a child is born. There's actually a reason that Isaiah shifts and begins to give us the hope. But before that, he talks about the great darkness. He says there's not going to be any gloom. And the idea is, well, right now there's gloom. So what is that gloom that we're talking about that the light will overcome? What does it mean? Well, you know, the darkness and the gloom is actually an important part of the Christmas story. Right? And Noah talked about the beauty of the gospel. The gospel story starts down here in darkness before we end up here in the light and salvation. Because first there has to be a realization that we need saving. There has to be a realization that we're surrounded by sin and we're not only surrounded by sin, but it is in our own hearts. And the hope comes when, we, when, when that dawns on us, when the light shines in our hearts and we realize, yes, not only do I need saving, but there is a God that is willing with open arms to save me. But it starts out with darkness. So just listen to the darkness. Why were they living in such gloom? Why, why did the dark clouds seem to follow them everywhere? Well, back in, Act, in Isaiah 8, can't read the whole chapter, but verse 22, they, they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they'll be thrust into thick darkness. Well, why, why are they just thrust into darkness after darkness and after darkness? Why the gloom and the anguish? Verses 19 and 20 before that, when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living to the teaching and the testimony? So here's, here's what happened in real life, time and history, with the, what would be considered the people of God in that day. This is, we're talking about Israel, and earlier in chapter 8, God, uh, he's, gonna, he's telling them, I'm going to chastise you because of your apostasy. Your faith is not in me, and you are living in sin. And the Assyrians, I'm going to send the Assyrians, and they're going to overtake you. You're going to be uprooted. It's, it's, it's bad news. <laughs> it is darkness and gloom. But so they have all this going on with them politically, uh, militarily, and psychologically, socially. They're living corrupt. They're reaping what they sow. And they're not 
they're not choosing to go to God. They're not choosing to be patient. They're not choosing to pray and to trust the Lord and his answers. They decide that's, they're not going to wait. That's not good enough. But they realize that they are facing tremendous trouble. So what do you do? Well, you just turn to whatever. If, if, you, if you put God out of the equation, you're left with what the world has to offer. Well, what does the world have to offer? What kind of solutions and answers? Well, you can get your palms read. Maybe that will give you hope. Is there any light at the end of this line in my palm? What do you see for me? Because I'm really despondent here. I just need to hear some good news. Well, you, you inquire of the dead, the mediums. I don't know if it's th- this way anymore because we don't watch, hardly ever watch TV, but around the Christmas season or leading up to it, a lot of times there were all the advertisements for mediums and so forth. I don't know if it's like that anymore, but I wonder if there's a connection there. So the, they're, they're inquiring and utilizing the means of the world to get information, solutions, problems, hope for their soul. And it's not just the supernatural, the darkness, shaking the eight ball and trying to figure out what my fortune might be. It's also the teachings of the world, the, the, the wise people, the intellectuals that give you answers outside of the Bible. Okay, because the world, right, we're faced with problems. We've got to have solutions. And people that don't believe in God or don't turn to God, they come up with solutions to our problems. So they look to some of the intellectuals of the day, the wisdom of the day, the teachings of the world. See, when you no longer look to the heavens for answer and God's ways and God's truth, God's kingdom that he's established through Christ... Then you're left with just, well, you and I, our wisdom, what we bring to the table. And that's a sad lot. So there's despair. You know, the, the Christmas message, it really does tell us something about the world. And it tells us something about our own hearts that is uh, it's sobering, but it's also humiliating. We need a Savior. We need help we are a part of the problem we need our hearts and this problem changed so that my heart will love light and truth more than darkness and without christ it doesn't so the message in a sense the world can't save itself that's what the text is teaching us we need that light we need that savior So what happens is our sin nature, it it gets restless. It doesn't want to wait on God or often give God the credit he deserves. Doesn't like God's answers. Too harsh. But that's not fun. I want to have fun. And our hearts get needy in a sick way, in an unhealthy way. And like I quoted Timothy Keller last Sunday... Our hearts, because we long for certain things, if we don't long for the right thing, we're so needy, we'll gobble up poison. So when people don't get what they want and turn away from the Creator, uh, they, they look for their own hope and their own source of healing. And that's why the Israelites were so crushed. They're so despondent. It's real anguish. It's real pain. It's real hurt. From, from the kingdom hall to the family 
crushed psychologically. Now, they're really good at seeing their problems. Isn't that interesting about the world? Is Boy, we know every little ache and pain there is to know. We're constantly reminded of the brokenness, of the bad news. They're very good at understanding the reality of the situation, and they are in it knee-deep. That's for sure. They're feeling it. This is, this is real. But the more... See, Isaiah said, you, you're looking to the things of the earth. So what happens is rather than look to the things of God for solution, they keep looking to the things of the earth. How about you? How about this? How about this teaching? That sounds wonderful. And the more they turn to the things of the earth, the darker it gets, the worse it gets for them. So they're not living in denial of their problems. They're very aware of them. And they are greatly burdened. Well, that reminds us, of course, of the world that we live in today. That's the a description of the world without the light. A world that refuses to look at God and His ways. A, a people that are so desperate that we even try to conjure up or inquire of the dead. Now, what's a dead person going to tell us? Is that a smart thing to do? We take God out of the equation and we limit ourselves and we look to the wrong things. We look to the teaching of the day. The, the popular, feel good, believe in yourself, that's your problem. We look to the brilliance of philosophers and scientists like the Greeks, always looking for that great mind, that wisdom, that great mind that's going to come up finally if I think hard enough the solution will come up and that great mind will pull us out of our problems looking for that great economist to solve our financial problems or the great epidemiologist to solve all the disease and the pandemic that surrounds us or the great political figure that will save our nation or the great mind that will figure out all of our climate woes and lead us out of certain doom and yet the message of scripture and in this text in particular is that the world can't save itself i mean there's good things that happen only because of god's common grace the world can't save itself and that's our story and that's the world that we live in you know i've frankly i've been disappointed with uh, how our, our so-called Christian nation, Christian country, and, you know, they do these interviews, do you believe in God, do you go to church, and how often, and always it comes out that the United States is a predominantly Christian. And I've been disappointed in how our country has put so much hope in science and a vaccine uh, to pull us out of this problem. Well, do we need a vaccine, and is science a good thing? Of course it is. But where do we hear the acknowledgement of uh, we're not in control and what we really need because we don't have the answers is we need to depend on a God who might be gracious enough to give us answers, to give us good things, to give us perspective, to help us know where to put our money and our time and who gets what first. There's just so much emphasis on science and 
and the vaccine and so little emphasis on God. It's disappointing, frankly. And I think it's telling of a so-called Christian nation. And not to be Debbie Downer, but if we put things into perspective, the vaccines that are out now, they are truly a gift. And I am grateful for them. They will absolutely save lives. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But they're not going to fix the gloom of the world. They're not. So after the vaccines are administered, at best, we get back to how things were, which is great. But how things were was a dark, gloomy world or community or nation that is not turning to God. And because of that, that's why we have these problems. Now, Christ is removing the curse, but we live under the curse. Only Christ can remove. So to turn to anything less. So what do we do if we, we, we hear about the good news and lives that are being saved? We thank God. He gets the credit for it. Or if somebody comes up with this brilliant vaccine, thank God he gets the credit for it. Give credit where credit is due. The healing that we need as a people goes way deeper than what's constantly in our face right now with COVID. So that's part of the Christmas message, but that's only part. The best part is where Isaiah talks about the light that comes in and changes all this changes the entire motion of things. It's deep darkness, Isaiah calls it. It's not just like kind of dark. It's deep, bad stuff, anguish. But the most important part is what God, through Christ the King, comes and does to the gloom. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time. He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and of Naphtali. These little, uh, the two towns of the 12 tribes, the two, two tribes of the 12 tribes that settled like way on the outskirts of the promised land. They're like nothing. They're, they're insignificant. And they were the most liberal, if you, if you will. Oh, not when Christ's light comes. That's where Christ appears but in the later time he's made a glorious way of the sea the land beyond the jordan galilee of the nation see even in the days of jesus and we learn this in matthew the galileans are like what see if you are a true jew the the more religious and faithful the closer you got to where the temple was in jerusalem the more of a person of god you were so those galileans and, and they called of the nations because well they were Constantly being put into exile and so forth because their apostasy against God, rebellion against God. And so, yeah, in Galilee, there were Jews there, but there were people of every nation. That's where God chose to shine his light. So only the God that we reject, only the king that we avoid can offer us the remedy of our self-imposed gloom. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light on them has light shone. That light shone literally means like a flash. A bright flash of light. And the thing about a flash is it, it, it exposes all the things that are dark, but it also exposes good things that perhaps we couldn't see in our blindness. 
the beauty of God in Christ. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. By the way, the darkness will not overcome the light, no matter how gloomy it may seem to get in this world. Christ has come. The light is here. The kingdom has been established. But light and life in Scripture, they go together. Where there's light, there's life. Where there's life, there's light. And so with this light is this healing balm. It it brings life. It nourishes life. Life and individuals, when that light comes into our hearts, when we acknowledge Christ for who he is, Jesus is the light and Jesus is the life. You have one, you have the other. And when Jesus when comes into our hearts, when we, when we humbly repent and Jesus graciously comes in, the life and light begins. The kingdom begins to be established in our hearts. And it's only good. God brings only goodness. There's a Christmas carol called The Little Babe. We've never sung it here. And um, it's really intense. If you go home and listen to it, it's like this intense, almost provoking kind of like tense music. You know, some music can kind of, but it gets your attention. And it describes an all-out battle of the little baby in Bethlehem and against Satan. And the words were written by Robert Southwell. And he was a a Catholic priest who was hanged, drawn, and quartered by Queen Elizabeth I. And here's how it reads. This little babe, so few days old, is come to rifle Satan's fold. All hell doth at his presence quake. Though he himself for cold do shake. For in his weak, unarmed wise, the gates of hell he will surprise. Man, I know there's the mystery and the wonder and the preciousness of nativity as a kid. I I was just in awe of the nativity as a kid. I didn't even understand all that was going on, but I knew it was something special and good. And in that little manger, the babe, the light and the good news was that he, he didn't just come to make you feel good. He came to kill death and sin itself. He came to dispel the darkness. And in order for that to happen, he has to go to war. And he fights our battles for us dispels the darkness for us. So the Christmas means the battle between good and evil is won by this this little baby born in obscurity, born in poverty, born in seemingly the middle of nowhere by parents that are poor and seemingly insignificant and obscure. And isn't that just like God to do these kind of unexpected things? I mean, God has a sense of humor. He, he likes to laugh. He, he, he knows the sensation of joy. 
And he often shocks the world with the decisions he makes. And so into the world, the greatest thing, God incarnate comes. And you have just this carpenter and this young lady. In obscurity. It's incredible that God often works through things that seem absolutely insignificant. Even the geographical location was totally insignificant. And the Apostle Paul reminds us of that in the Corinthians. He just takes the things that seemingly the world will say, ah, you're a nobody, you're insignificant, and he does great things. It doesn't matter where you come from, really. If you, if you give your heart to the light and take the, the yoke of Christ upon you, does it really matter what has happened or what hasn't happened in your life when you present yourself before this God that does the unexpected. God is light. So let me wind it down with this. God is light. If you ever notice in Genesis that God is going through the process of creation, there's steps and there's days and something different in each day is created. But the very first thing that God says is let there be light and there was light and it was good and that light separated the, the, the light from the darkness. And then he goes on um, and he creates the waters and separates the waters and he creates the land and he creates the vegetation in Genesis. And then he creates what? The lights. The luminaries of the heavens to separate day and night and to give us the seasons and so forth. And that, of course, would be the light in the, for the day and the light for the night, the sun and the moon. But light has already been there. Light was already created. You see, there was light before there was light, if you will. What is that light that lit up things before the sun even existed? So in Genesis, there was a light, but no sun. Now, in the book of Revelation, it tells us that God's coming kingdom knows no light. You know that in Revelation 21, 23, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. This is what's established for us. You can leave envisioning what heaven will be like. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. And you think how powerful the sun is. And yet really, if you think about it in Scripture, the sun is just a mere symbol of the light of Christ. Now the sun is a powerful thing. If you, if you tweak the sun in any way, you either burn or you freeze. It's just perfectly positioned. And it's a symbol. The new world will not need the sun because God the Lamb will be the light of the world. He's not just the King of Kings. Jesus is the light of lights, of all light. And in that ultimate light, there will be no death. There will be no darkness. So there is the life eternal Life forever that just grows and gets better and better, unimaginable. Or everything that is, is not exposed to that light will decay forever and, and burn forever and ail forever. So what do they do with such good news? Well, they rejoice in verse 3. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. In agricultural culture, what is the big time of year? Harvest, right? Man, finally. 
It's a big time of year. You get all generous, you get all giddy because your hard work paid off. And then if you're in the military, in that culture, the best thing was when you won the war, but not only won the war, you get to take what your enemy had and you get all the spoils of things. These are the highlights and Christ is the highlight of all this. So we rejoice in this babe who gives such promise, such hope, this miracle of the incarnation. And it's just a reminder for us that when we turn to the things of this earth and only this earth, only expect it to get darker, only expect the problems to increase. But when we humbly embrace the light that God has given to us as a gift, well, we put ourselves under that light and the soul will begin to feel its worth. There will be a joy. So let's rejoice that Christ, the King, has come. Rejoice in our hearts. Rejoice in our homes. Rejoice in this place of worship. May God bless the preaching of His Word.